Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on October the 28th of 2020 Ooh. for our All Hallows Eve, 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 Eve recording of Weekly Manga Recap. I am Nick here alongside Chris, who is looking no! great. So, no, you no. are speaking with the Spook Master General. <laughs> Okay. Uh, I've you, pulled uh, out all the stops this year by getting a Zoom background and wearing a hoodie. For I am one of the apostles of the damned. But I'm the leader, so I'm an apostle of me. And when, uh, and when you're the leader, you can dress how you want. It's casual Friday every day. It's a requirement in our church for you to wear an ACDC t-shirt. Boo! That wasn't a soda can opening. That was the carbonated souls of the damned. Which I have put in this soda can. <laughs> it looks like a bubbly, but it's not. Okay, so, um. Uh-huh. Nick, now what spooky offerings do we have in this Spooktober episode? Well, we do have a manga that we're going to talk about. Uh, is it delightfully terrifying? Kind of. Excellent. Yeah. Did we review something that was good for once during Spooktober? I think it was. Oh, what pleasant surprise. So, I mean, Chris said he was going to read it. Did you? Like, uh, did, did so? Oh, no, I thought it was like a guest, like an optional kind of thing. But you go at it, buddy. Have fun. I will be in the back critiquing your review. This is how reviews should work. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do it sexier. So, did you say to do it sexier? <laughs> yes. I mean, I'm already playing sexy enough as it is, so that's... Halloween is meant to be the sexiest month of the year. Is that With all, all of the pumpkins? Do you have a thing for gourds? <laughs> why do you think people draw faces on them? Because uh, I'm concerned that you think that it's for a purpose that they're not actually going for. I have a product You're I not need to, to pitch. Try and put those candles out, okay? <laughs> I have a product to pitch later with the fleshlight people. But for now, <laughs> review! Review. So the manga that we took a well, I took a look at for this week is Mieruko-chan, which is a book by Tomoki Izumi. Uh, it's a we have an odd series in the sense that it actually just kind of started off as something that the uh, author just kind of put on her, her Twitter and like Pixiv. Uh, but uh, it soon enough got picked up by uh, Comic Walker, which is an online service where you can read manga. And uh, so there is a cl- pretty clear like format shift 
uh, little ways into the manga where at first it was kind of these pretty short standalone chapters. And eventually over time, it becomes more of an ongoing story with longer chapters. And uh, the basic premise is that there is this girl named Miko, whose name is in the title, but it's changed so that it takes the form of the Japanese word for to see. Uh, because she can see ghosts, uh, these spooky spirits who haunt her, and uh, she just kind of spontaneously develops this ability one day uh, when she was just, you know, hanging out at, at her home one night. And, and uh, so she decides that if she reacts to the spirits in any way, then they're going to more aggressively haunt her because they'll realize that they that she can see them. And uh, so if she ignores them and pretends she can't see them, then maybe they won't be as aggressive towards her. And that is basically her approach through the entire rest of the manga to date is to just try and ignore them, even though they do shock her very suddenly sometimes with big scares or with really by doing really gross, horrifying things right in front of her face. And she can't really do anything about it because she's just desperately trying not to show any reaction on her face. And at first, it's just kind of her kind of somewhat. I guess the idea is that she humorously plays it down by like, oh, here's my food or, oh, I got some stuff in my eye and that's why I'm crying. But uh, over time, as she gets more involved in this world, the spirits and ponders whether she should actually use her ability to see spirits to do anything about them. Uh, it gets it gets a bit more complicated than that, and uh, so that's kind of just your starting point. Um, but if it were just that, uh, I, I would not have liked this series. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't think that the jokes about her just uh, you know being scared of a ghost but not wanting to do anything about it, and the humorous ways that she finds to ignore them didn't really like that very much. Okay, uh, but. She's a sympathetic character over time. You feel so bad for her. Good God. That poor girl. Because she can't do anything. She's, you know, she's just this normal girl who can see ghosts and she just wants to live a normal life. And her, she's got these bright and happy. Well, this one bright and happy friend who's just like, let's go take a selfie. And then, and, and, you know, you see that they're surrounded by ghosts that her friend can't see, but Miko can. And so she's just kind of like, mm. While her friend is like, yay! Uh, and there's like a tentacle ghost thing that's right behind them that looks like it wants to eat them. And Miko's the only one who can see it. And she can't confide this in anyone because if she confides in someone, then of course the ghosts who are constantly around her will hear that she can hear them and they'll start haunting her more aggressively. And of course, who would believe her? So, uh, and things kind of get more complicated from there. Um, <sighs> So uh, also another one of the reasons I didn't really like the series at first is that it it kind of goes for like the fan service jokes. It's if you know what I mean, aggressively horny at the start, like mm-hmm. astonishingly horny for like five chapters to the point I would like one of the series I would feel like you could compare it to a little bit is Ayakashi Triangle because it has somewhat of a similar premise of someone who has the ability to somewhat interact with ghosts is best friends with somebody whose natural presence serves only to kind of attract them. And then in the first five chapters, it's the horniest fucking thing in the world. Like to a point where like, this is shameful. <laughs> like the there's the first like three or four chapters I read 
in a public area and I was like, I'll read this later. Uh, it's it stops being that way. There's still a little bit here and there, but like the I mean, first you can't just change on its chest size. Like, no, so. <laughs> but like the nudity or stuff like that does get toned. Like she stops having to deal with like, oh, no, a groping ghost like that. That eventually mm-hmm. stops being a, a factor pretty quickly. Yeah. It's it's a bit weird to kind of see like the early chapters, how they were different. But then you consider like, OK, this is just something that the artist was just kind of just doing for the sake of it. And then they got picked up. And so they were like, all right, I'll take this premise a bit more seriously. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that happens all the time. It's like, all right, maybe I'll make this a little bit less horny. Maybe I'll make this a little bit less law random and, you know, put some actual thought into the way that the plot develops and stuff like that. Yes. It's, you know, you just start develop- thinking about your premise differently when it's like, okay, this is the thing that I've got to actually keep doing in the future. So, uh, and let's see. So it starts off as just like Miko can see ghosts. No one else can. Uh, she's got this best friend named Hana who's got big boobs. Uh, mm-hmm. That's like that. That is one of her primary character traits. I'm just that, you know, she's very, you know, the easiest way for me to describe her is if you've ever seen Kill a Kill, she heavily reminds me of Mako uh because she's got that sort of relationship with with Miko where like she's kind of childish uh and um uncaring about how weird things are around her obviously it's because she literally can't see ghosts uh but she also gives off this tremendous amount of like life energy which is so powerful that it literally like roasts weaker spirits that hang on to her. Uh, and, but because of that more powerful spirits are drawn to her. Uh, and so you've got this combination of Hana who is a magnet for ghosts, but can't see them. And Miko who can't do anything about the ghosts and can see literally all of them. She is specifically at several points, basically it's like, she can see things that even experienced spirit mediums can't see. Uh, it's 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 that that particular relationship to me though is is so fundamental for the series because it, it's something where it's like okay let's let's give a reason for Hana to be a significant character in the series. Oh, she just attracts a bunch of ghosts. The obvious solution to that would be well, stop hanging around Hana then. But Miku can't because it's her best friend and it doesn't seem to matter how many like she knows that this I believe at this point she knows that her friend is attracting these ghosts. But like her friendship with Donna means more than that. And that's just such an earnest thing. Like the, the relationship between them is such like a genuine best friend kind of energy that it's just like. Uh, Hana doesn't know what's going on with Miko. She doesn't understand what's going on, but she'll still be like, you feel like you're in a weird place. I wanted to do this sort of thing to cheer you up and stuff like that. It's like, oh, it's very sweet. And you can see that there are those moments that Miko has where she's just like, I'm going to do everything here. I'm in complete and utter hell, but this is so important to Hana that I can I can get through it because it's for her. And it's just like, oh, even though she has to brave really troublesome spirits because Hana wants a keychain charm. 
Yes. Which is seemingly identical to one that she already has. But Miko's, when Miko points out, aren't they like the same? And I was like, no, they're completely different. So she's like, all right. So they go, they go through everything together. Uh, eventually their, their group is joined by Julia, who is, I think like a transfer student or something like that. And she's this wannabe spirit medium. She has, she can see some spirits, but she can't see the really powerful, big, scary ones that Miko can see. Uh, and so she's kind of like aggressively trying to get Miko to kind of let her in on stuff so that they, cause she thinks that Miko is this super awesome uh, exorcist who gets rid of all these powerful spirits when uh, really Miko's just trying to keep herself and Hana safe. Um, and she keeps misinterpreting things that Miko is doing as her casting spells. And Julia is such a nerd that like days later, it'll be at night and she'll be like practicing the thing that Miko did in the mirror, thinking that she's practicing a spell when really Ju- Miko was just like making up an excuse for why she would, you know, kind of push them, the group in a certain direction. Um, and, uh, she definitely has this potential, but she clearly doesn't understand how in over her head she keeps trying to push herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, like she gets she gets this bracelet of bees that are meant to repel spirits, which earlier on was meant to, you know, be Miko like, oh, with this, maybe I can be safe. And the, and the bracelet explodes off of her because the ghosts around her are too powerful. So Julia's like, I've got this bracelet. It'll help me. And she's like, well, I put the bracelet back together. And it just isn't helpful whenever she's around Miko. And there's a few other characters besides that. We're kind of at the point that the series is at literally right now. Miko has finally made a connection with someone who can help her out a little. Hmm. And she's still very much her character is very much kind of at a sort of crossroads in terms of what she's going to do about her situation. Uh, because the joke throughout the series was, okay, Miko's going to ignore these spirits and then they'll just kind of get sick of trying to, you know, directly target her. She won't open herself up to this. She does some occasionally ridiculous things in order to make an excuse for why she happened to be looking in a certain ghost direction and got a terrified look on her face. Um, but more recently, she started asking herself the question of, is there something I can do about this? Because she's had some run-ins with people and she's been able to, you know, help some troubled spirits uh, find peace or be exercised. And so, and help the people that they were haunting uh, to no longer be in danger of whatever sort that it is, which is always very ambiguous because you never see a ghost actually, do something to a person uh they can affect animals but we saw one instance of something similar with the the axe guy on the train and even that wasn't clearly like killing a person but it was shown that there was some way it had to kind of interact with people and ghosts we see the spirits act more aggressively towards each other Mm -hmm. than towards people. Cause the spirits for a reason that is yet to be explained, the bigger ones eat the smaller ones. And there's, it's actually some, in my opinion, some of the creepiest, scariest stuff uh, that happens in the series is, uh, 
that is just the fact that Miko is the only one who can see all of these spirits. And so, you know, Julia, for example, will see people walking around and she'll think like, oh, these, you know, these ghosts are no trouble. And Miko will be, meanwhile, looking at the much bigger thing that is trying to eat the person that is wandering around. Yeah. Or people will say like, oh, yes, the people go over there so that they can pass on to heaven. And Miko can see, no, they're lining up to be eaten by monsters for some reason. Yeah, there's there's a really cool sense of lore to this world that's honestly the more terrifying part of the story than generally the scares of the monsters are. Uh, because as you said, there's this line of ghosts who go up to this certain uh, alleyway by this certain restaurant, and it's just a gigantic mouth that eats these people. And it's shown up several times in the story. And at this point, you're kind of being led to believe because pretty much everything that's brought back at, is introduced at some point has returned. Most characters who are around for one chapter have returned either to be one-off characters again or significant characters, uh, apparently. And there's this thing where you're just like, this world is terrifying and it's not because these designs are horrifying, although I think they are. I'm generally just desensitized to a lot of this stuff, so most of the designs don't scare me as much. But the situations that Miko is in more often are where it's terrifying, where uh, just recently there was a scene where she's at a restaurant and she's with somebody who can sort of see spirits. So they think they're on equal playing grounds here because they're like, ah, I'm seeing what's going on. But Miko can see so much more, and it's terrifying to her. And you just have this dread because you're just like, I don't know what'll happen if all of a sudden these things start to, like if one ghost realizes really that what she could do. And we've started to actually see ghosts are responding to her, and the world is having to kind of build upon this bigger lore of just like, all right, you can't just pretend you don't see them anymore because now they're starting to figure out that you can and things like that. So mm -hmm. I think that's where the real strength of the series is starting to build upon because it's not the monsters per se that are scary. It's all these situations that you keep seeing this poor girl in. It's, it's almost kind of a dark comedy at points. I mean, it is specifically mm -hmm. a dark comedy at points, but there's more times, too, where you're just like, it's hard not to just kind of laugh because she's in so many shitty situations where, like, you just can't help but be like, this is awful. Like, just yeah. fucking awful. She's one of the happiest chapters of the series is one where uh, she and her friends go to a haunted house. Mm -hmm. Because she realizes they're going through it. Because at first she's like, I mean, the stuff that I see around here is not nearly as scary as the stuff I see all the time. But then she realizes, wait a minute, if there's all this scary stuff around, then I can just let loose and actually let myself have terrified reactions. And so they go through it and she's going, Aah! but she's so relieved that she's like having what, you know, honestly is also a very normal reaction for a lot of people going through a hot house of a you know she's scared but she's so happy that she can sh she can express herself and it's such a relief to her and then of course once they're out of the hide house she starts to react again and nobody else can see and she's like oh oh right i have to back go back to back to, to burying it <laughs> yeah 
Uh, so I, I greatly enjoyed this series and the moment I knew I was really enjoying this series happens at the, you know, end of quote unquote, the first volume, whatever we've gone through a series of different stories and we start with one and it's her in the house and she goes down for dinner with her family or breakfast Mm -hmm. with her family. Mm -hmm. And there's this big giraffe necked monster. And you're like, okay, it's going to be another one of these stories. Her family's talking at her. She can't say anything because she's staring at this monster. She doesn't want to, you know, attract its attention. It just continues back on. There's a whole kind of like sad story or a side story about a pudding, but eventually they're about to go start leaving. And we realize at that moment that it's, it's not just that gigantic giraffe monster that she's seen. But also the ghost of her dad, who's in the room with him, that her dad has suddenly passed very recently and is apologizing to her about the pudding. So, you know, you don't realize it until she's like, "Okay, wait, she runs into the fridge, grabs the pudding and puts it at a shrine of her dad. And that's when we're like, wait, wasn't her dad in the next room? And you're like, oh, and suddenly it just it hits on this different level where it's like not only does she have to live with the weight of seeing all these monsters she has to live with the weight of seeing these dead people she kind of knows too in her own house, and she can't interact with him at all because if she does, then the other ghost will know she can interact with him. And it's it's such a monstrous weight that you immediately are like, fuck, man, I am 100% invested in you getting the happiest fucking ending possible because I cannot comprehend how difficult that would be. And the chapter ends on her just saying just very simply, I don't know how I feel about seeing my dad's ghost. Yeah. It's just like, it's, <laughs> it's like, it, it's, it's a happier story than many of the other ones, just because so many of the ones are just sad all the way through. But it's, it's a very mixed emotion because yeah, she can't really express much of anything. So mm-hmm. oh, it's, it's so good. Um, that is, I think, definitely where the big turning point kind of comes, because then you kind of then you have that realization of, oh, this isn't just going to be a bunch of like the same joke over and over again, because there's no humor really in that chapter mm-hmm. other than like it's basically like it's the same setup. But instead of the punchline, there's a horror twist. Yes. Uh, and that's where you realize, OK, yeah, this is, in fact, a horror series and not just a horror comedy. It's, you know, a horror premise, which can then be put into humorous directions or dramatic directions or just scary directions. And that's after that point where it really starts to use the premise of this girl can see ghosts and it goes in so many cool different directions. There's one chapter which starts off as a one off, uh, but eventually is called back to where she and Hana find a, a stray cat. The best car- the best chapter in the whole fucking series. <laughs> it's very sweet because um Miko uses can see that when these two potential candidates come forward wanting to adopt this cat that one is surrounded by these two like angelic ghostly cats Although he's got this really mean looking. He looks know, he looks like a Yakuza trust- or something. Like yeah, that. he like, doesn't look trustworthy. He looks scary. Uh, and then the other guy looks like a handsome young man, but he's surrounded by these demonic zombie black cat spirits. And so Miko's like, oh, man, this guy's going to do something terrible to these cats. But this guy will look after them. And so she counters Hana's you know, instincts of, oh, we'll give it to the nice, handsome looking guy. And instead gives it to the rough looking guy. And the rough looking guy goes home and not only 
are is the kitty cat joined by the cat spirits, but also the spirit of like his wife. And they've he's got this little shrine for the cats and for his wife. And so even though he's ju- it's just him and the cat, as far as he can see, they're all kind of together in this little yeah. in this little family. And so it's like, oh, man, this guy really does care because he puts them literally on the same level as this, you know, this presumably wife his had. wife that was so important to him. And then it turns out later on, oh, that guy who was haunted by the dead the cat spirits. No, he's a lot more sympathetic than you first realize. And there's a reason why he's surrounded by dead, uh, horrified dead cats. And there's a whole big dramatic thing that goes into it. Yeah, uh, there is. And then there's one more that was early on that did really strike me, which is um, when their teacher uh, is going away uh, for a maternity leave. Oh, yeah. Because she's pregnant. And so she mentions to them, like, yeah, I'm really hoping this one makes it because the last time that I was pregnant, I had a miscarriage. And Miko can see when she looks closely that there is this very undefined spirit that is floating around around with the woman and like a little baby hand is like reaching out to put its hand on her stomach and so i was like oh the baby's dead sibling is with it to protect it now and it's like oh my god <laughs> so it's there's this yeah like because at first she doesn't know what the spirit is either she just yeah. sees something by the teacher and she has a moment where she finally kind of breaks one of her rules and it's just like Hey, um, be careful going down the stairs and like, are you eating? Like, she's just like suddenly like, be careful because I think a ghost is after you, you know, not obviously saying those words. And then the teacher blurt, you know, explains like, oh, no, you know, I, I had a miscarriage before. So I, I'm taking extra care because I want this one to work. And you're just like, oh, it's 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 very sweet because it's it. It's just if it wasn't such a compassionate lead. I don't know if the series would work nearly as well, but because it's so hard not to root for her, because she genuinely seems to want to make the world a better place, but is just... She doesn't know how she can do that. Yeah, yeah. it's... it's And it's just like so many little moments that make it great. And I, I actually found it to be, I think, probably a funnier series than you did, because I do enjoy some of the ways she gets out of certain things. Just because of how deadpan it has to be. There's a moment where she's mm. she's at a coffee shop and a guy is trying to flirt with her. And she accidentally kind of stares at him too long. And this just jealous ghost is coming after her. And she's like, oh, wow, he's cool. So the ghost is like, fuck you. You're after my guy. Yeah. And she's like, yo, Anjasan is so cool. And she just, she's like pulled up a video of this like Hulk Hogan wrestler kind of dude. And it becomes a character trait for her from yeah. then, like from There's then like on in the series, where he goes to a signing of his and yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah, like she's now become a big fan of this guy just because she randomly used him to get out of a bad situation. It's it's just it's so charming. Or she's always been a mark. You never know. <laughs> Very possible. Um, it's just it's it's a really good series. There's a couple things that are, aren't great in it. The the little brother, I feel like. Maybe I'm forget. Maybe I'm misremembering, but he's straight up like a sister pervert, right? Probably. Okay, Probably. that's what I'm vaguely remembering. He did start off in a time when the series was pervier, so yeah. that might just be it. I think that he's kind of that. That side of him has at least been de-emphasized as time has gone by, because I don't remember too many instances beyond his introduction where he was, was like that. Yeah, I'm just trying to remember all the different characters, and I mean, every so often you get a chapter where you're kind of like. Okay, this was okay. But I, I think generally speaking, 
everything in the series is so good that I, I I can't just recommend it for like October if you're looking for a spooky series to read. Like I I feel like you just need to to read it at some point. Like it's it's a really good series. It's a good time to try it out because uh, just this coming month, uh, an English version of the series, Volume 1, is coming out. Uh, I think it's the N-Press that's doing it. So keep an eye out for it, and you should be able to buy the first volume. And its I think it's definitely worth it. This is one of my favorite manga that we've covered this year um, pretty easily. Yes. So very glad that we got to, to read this uh uh, for for Halloween, and I would have enjoyed it even if it weren't a Halloween uh, special. So yes, but now Nick, that we're done now. with all of that nonsense, let's move on to the truly spooky part of the recap. Ooh, the fact that there are so few manga to talk about this. But <laughs> Nick, don't you mean blah, girl, blah, like a vampire, blah, blah. <laughs> If you explain it, does it really count? <laughs> yes, it does okay. to me. Ooh. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's why we're going to start by talking about the spookiest of series this week. Eden Zero. Because Question. it has a swimsuit on the front. Oh, okay. I was going <laughs> to ask if it was because nothing happens. <laughs> nothing happens in it. Uh, Nothing happens in this chapter. <laughs> chapter 116, the Sky Sweeper. So last time, I forget what planet they're on. It's a forest planet. Ver, 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 it was uh, Verdana or something? It like was the that? verdant planet of yeah. something. I don't know. Okay! I guess, I guess it'll come to me later. Uh, and a bunch of characters whose names I don't remember except for Orc are there and uh, everyone else is basically getting glued to a tree. And I don't know why. Somebody's like, Pino, we're stuck in glue. Use your EMP to free us. And Pino's like, I can't. That's how it works. <laughs> I can't. Glue is not electric. And I want, I know it's not practical, but I want a scene after all this is over where Pino goes up to Lucy is like, Rebecca is like, what the fuck are you like you're an idiot right like you i could use an emp to stop glue why did you think that would work uh not sure if it would if yeah it wouldn't exactly be in character first <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about you fucking yeah idiot. I, I wanted to like browbeat her over the fact that it was a dumb suggestion beyond the groove um so weiss is just like okay use use your gravity shiki so shiki's like yep i will so he uses his gravity to rip all it off uh there's a moment where glasses girl analyzes everything and orc says he is a gravity wielder just like shura and i got really concerned at first because like wasn't shura a big character and rave master but actually that was shuda so they're very different names i'm sure I'm sure there's um, not going to be any characters. Forrester, by the way, uh, the chat is up. Don't you mean Forrest Blonick? <laughs> everyone was a part of that one. Uh, <laughs> what do you mean everyone was? <laughs> the chat helped. You had to. Yeah, everyone was a part. The gang's all here. I hate the last day of Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he uses uh, his gravity powers, frees everybody, 
And then uh, there's a whole big joke because Wise is like, you ripped some of my clothes. And he looks over and like, Hamora's clothes are a little bit ripped. And Rebecca's clothes are just outright gone. Like her shirt's just completely gone. And then food reviewer girl's like, nope, didn't get much of mine. Uh, and then Weiss didn't really either because they're not, you can't really sexually exploit large women or men. That's impossible <laughs> in the universe of hero. Uh, so then a bunch of drones show up and drop a bunch of bombs. Basically it becomes like, uh, like act two of the first level of Sonic three where like they drop a bunch of bombs. So they have to run through a fiery forest. <laughs> I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong. Uh, for some reason, my comicsology decided not to load, but basically all that happens is Orc jumps into the air, activates his robot arm, blows up most of the ships, and in the process, everybody gets separated. Uh, so Hamora is separated, Weiss is over with a food reviewer girl, uh, who, by the way, says, uh, it's no use, I'm not seeing any food over here either. So she has a great joke where no line she has can't be about food. And Chris, um, you know, I, uh, I've been thinking the entire time that the Eden Zero has been flying through space mm-hmm. that uh, the one thing missing from their lineup is a husky character who has one joke as their personality. Mm-hmm. If only we had that, that one. then we'd be set. But it's just incomplete <sighs> without that. And uh, it's been incomplete until now. Uh, so I'm glad that uh, that we've got one. Yeah, um, I'm heavily on board with hashtag food reviewer girl for Eden Zero friend <laughs> or crewmate, whatever the fuck they'd call them on the ship. This <laughs> thing, the complete inversion of the straw hats. Just uh, you, you don't have to campaign for any of these characters. Nope. Just like, no, they're already they're already, they're, part, they're already of part of the crew. There's already like fucking the same size as the straw hats at Eden Zero, and it's been running like a year and a half. Hang on. Shiki, Rebecca, Homura, Weiss. Don't happy. don't don't count the two robots of Pino no. and Happy. Don't count them. Okay, Let's just okay. say they're not part of it. Uh, but then there's the other three members of the uh, the of shining the stars group, Ma- Maskoi. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I guess it's just down to whether or not you count their current members who haven't officially joined yet. Yeah. But if they do then they'll be in excess of the Straw Hat crew. Yeah. Already. It's a very big group. (laughs) Um, All right. So they all got separated. And basically this, uh, there's a moment where Hermit's like, this is serious. You need to get up there. Uh, Food reviewer girl hears that there's an emergency and immediately assumes that it's because they're out of food. Ha ha ha. Uh, But Hermit's like, hey, we need your powers to stop this thing. Because, you know, if it doesn't, then it's going to affect the rest of us. It's going to affect the Shining Stars. So, uh, you know, everyone separate. Hamora, apparently, I don't remember if this was ever a thing she's established. But mm-hmm. she basically says she's unable to handle the heat. So she's beginning to faint. It was in, it was established in the more recent one. Remember in the Red when... Cave. But I mean, yeah. Like, I think it's just like becoming more and more of, of her thing now. Okay. I guess. I guess. I guess everyone needs a thing. Um, so she's gonna be stuck going up against glue guy. Rebecca made a bra out of leaves somehow, and uh, she's going up well, against she tied glass. Around her torso. I've seen yeah. weirder things, but 
Yeah, well, it looks like she just grabbed like three leaves, and I'm just like, those don't. I mean, that can't possibly provide support of any kind. Have <laughs> <laughs> uh, you seen what she wears normally? <laughs> I, I guess that's true. Uh, she might use ether gear, I guess, to control to provide like lift and support power or whatnot. So like when she, so like when she gets her hands tied behind her back, her boobs just go. Bronk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my support's gone. <laughs> Uh, uh, so she's going up against Glass girl, Glass's girl, who's has uh, apparently some smoke powers of some kind or, or something like that. And uh, Shiki uh, is alone in the forest, and Orc falls, uh, lands like on basically a crashing drone lands in front of them, and says, "Sorry to keep you waiting, Gravity Wielder." So um, that's a chapter. Everyone's divided into groups to fight against these three characters we don't care about yet. Yeah, pretty much. I kind of like Orc, but because he's going against Shiki, he's either relegated to will become a friend and join the crew, or he'll be he'll become like a sexist asshole in the next chapter and get clowned immediately. There's there's really no middle ground. It feels like. Yeah, um, they're gonna have fights. I don't care. Yeah, because these characters showed up all of one chapter ago, except for Glue Guy, who showed up the chapter before that. And yeah, we were so. introduced to them like a month ago, though, you know, we, we were there was a ch- there was a chapter that ended with us meeting the three of them in like a single page. It was that one. I don't remember. It was one of the very many Forrester chapters, the Forrester arc that has ended the like Forrest arc. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, that has basically been felt like three chapters kind of slammed into one. One of the chapters ended with like, us meeting Orc and the other two. That, I, that's why I've been saying, I'm like, I know we've known these characters' names, but I don't remember them. Okay. We know that they're they're working for Poseidon Nero, and that they're here to kill robots on the planet. That's it. Okay. Chainsaw Man. Chapter 90. Super Power. There's uh, a picture of Makima. In the forest, as the cover page. Anyway, mm-hmm. so we open the chapter on Power, <gasps> who is in an abyss, basically surrounded by what look like intestines, unconscious, when uh, something comes over and prods her, and it's Pochita. But Nick, don't you mean Buchita? Halloween. No, no, do the whole song. Do it. Hey, whoa, wait, Puchita, that's insane. Back in the series, Power's back. Let's talk about that. Great, great transition, Chris. Uh Yep, I know all the words. So. Uh, Pochita wakes up Power, who doesn't like this, and then is like, who are you? Uh, but then she realizes, oh, you must be Pochita. Denji told me about you, and Pochita looks looks happy to be to be acknowledged, which is weirdly cute in, in this desperate moment that he's about to ask uh, Power for help. Because Pochita says, I want you to save Denji. And Power's like, Aren't I dead though? This <laughs> is such a direct way of addressing the point. <laughs> but then Pochita's like, well, then how are you talking to me? And then Power gets confused, which is a character for her. So. But 
Pochita explains, hey, remember back when you and Denji got weirdly sexual about drinking each other's blood? Yeah, your current form is the blood that he drank from you. And even with your blood devil powers, you'll disappear at this rate. But devils can increase their strength by eating the flesh of strong devils. You can eat me and revive as a devil. Will you save Denji for me? And with no hesitation, Power says, sure, Denji's my buddy. Aww. And it's a nice moment to let us know just how important Denji and Power's friendship is, even if she doesn't show it all the time. And I'm sure that this is going to hold through for at least the rest of this chapter. <laughs> Out in the physical world, Makima is approaching Denji now that he's been downed and is in a pool of his own blood. But all of a sudden, he shifts and lurches up and Makima gapes. As power comes flying out of Denji's mouth in a big ass devil form with like four arms and furry limbs and a neck made of intestines, it looks like. And she's very power. She's just laughing while spearing literally everyone that's with Makima. As Makima's just like, what the fuck? Um, and true to form, power starts bragging about how great she is before she's actually finished off Makima, who uses the angel devil power to get a big ass sword. Power summons more blood blades and shish kebabs Makima repeatedly with them. And she starts ranting. Makima is trash. Makima is a nobody. I'm the first president. Whatever that means. (laughs) Nick, she's the first president. You show her some respect. Makima uses the zombie demon power to summon a horde of zombies. I Presumably just resurrecting all the corpses that the power just made. And they start rushing power. Who's like, ow, 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 ow. Makima starts blasting off her limbs with her bang ability. And then <laughs> Makima just goes, power... Why are you alive after I killed you? <laughs> uh, before uh, power can, before Makima can get power to answer the question, she latches around Denji and goes, "This is mine." Uh, but Makima blasts her again with her bang ability. Power kind of like flinches away and cowers away for a bit, and then Makima says, "Power, be a good girl. Hand over chainsaw, man. Do it." And I won't kill you. I'll let you be my pet again. And Tower kind of gets this look on her face. As much as a look as she can get on her face, which looks like an anvil right now. And then she picks up Denji and goes, Your wish is my command! I captured this fool! He's like, good girl. And in, in, in this void space, Pochita's like, ah! And then Power says, The glory is mine! Because she's Power. And I just like how happy her face looks at the last panel. She's so like, she has such an unexpressive face at the moment because it's just like a featureless kind of thing and then an eyeball and a mouth. But just curving the eyes slightly just shows how happy she currently is right now. So. Power's back. <laughs> or is she? So there, there's a level where you're just like, I. I don't know how to take this because 
I don't know how permanent any part of this is. Chainsaw Man True. has shown over the past like three months that anything can happen and nothing is guaranteed. So there's a part of me that's just like, oh, okay, this isn't gonna, this isn't gonna work. Um, plus, there's also the fact that I there's a chance Denji might still kill her because I guess mm-hmm. if you still interpret the way the future devil's words worked. Denji would kill her, which technically Makima did before, even though Denji was the one who opened the door. Yeah, so there's there's yeah. maybe a chance that Denji still eats her or she dies or something like that. But there's just a moment of like, okay, I can definitely enjoy power being back and actually feeling like power. You know, we've mm-hmm. seen we've had kind of this weird nostalgia trip recently of like seeing all these characters, but none of them have any personality really. Or are nothing like how we kind of got to enjoy mm-hmm. them. So it's nice because just they seeing... were just all mocking us slaves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's nice seeing power being power, but I'm, it's still at this point where you're just like, I don't know how to feel about this chapter though, because I don't know what's going to happen next week. So judging the part instead of the whole. Considering the amount of whiplash that's been going on in the last several chapters, just back and forth, back and forth, you imagine this part of the manga being adapted into an anime. How how will they handle that? There would be know, so yeah. much going on. I've also kind of gotten a little tired of like the Makima reaction face because we've had to deal with it so many chapters in a row now where she'll say something like, oh, this is unwinnable. Oh, we're screwed. Or when she just has like a flat face. So I'm just like, I have no idea. I, like I'm starting to like almost get bored of it where I'm just like, all right, I've seen it now. What are you talking about, Chris? Bleach got way better when Aizen was all over every chapter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. I can't. I think the Shigaraki arc should go on for another 30 or 40 chapters. All for one to just be the main character, my reaction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Let's move on to Maga-chan, God of Destruction, Chapter 17, A Chaos-Inducing Illness. Hey, Maga got sick because Ruru was sick, because diseases are contagious, the symptoms he is expressing are very different than those Ruru had because he is a chaos entity being. It manifests in his body swelling Watch and Nick. distorting to weird Don't shapes. Don't you mean Mog, Boo, Chan, and Boo, Boo? They have stolen zero picnic baskets, I'll have you know. <laughs> Magu Chan's body is distorting to all sorts of weird shapes and his eye beams shoot out of a random part of his body every time that he sneezes, so that's no good. Uh, then uh, Izuma and uh, Paneras? Runeras? Uneras? Uneras. Panera Bread. Uh, they show up. And they're like, ah, oh, well, now that you're, you know, now that uh, Ruru is no longer safe, it's time to throw down. But of course... Magu is clearly sick and is shooting off random eye beams. Izuma is able to deflect one, but then Uneris is like, hang on, something's wrong here. Ruru explains, oh yeah, he's sick. She throws on an, a nurse outfit because Uneris is weird like that. And then she starts taking a look and is like, all right, okay. So the bacteria, when it came into contact with Magu, uh, it underwent a mutation. So this is not a human cold anymore. So this is pretty bad. So what we need to do is infiltrate his body and obliterate the mutated bacteria. So she's like, with my providence, I'll make you guys become pocket-sized in this capsule and then shove it up that hole, (laughs) basically. 
So she puts uh, Ren and Rue in a suppository, I guess, uh, and puts it in Magu's body while Izuma kind of holds the fort, deflecting laser blasts and stuff. Oh, also, she dumps Naputuku in there. I forgot about that. I forgot he was here. He was so important. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, Ren has been inside of Magu's void before, and he observes that it is different now. Um, and then they're like, oh, hey, there's a there's a tiny Mago here, but it's all black and and, and distorted. And so it tries to destroy them. Uh, Naputuko gives it a drop kick and he's like, I'm the victor. Me. I won. Me, me, me. Uh, but it starts to vanish. And then there's a whole bunch of more uh, cold germ infected Magus that start attacking as well. Um then uh, Ren picks up a sword thing that's just kind of in the void so he can use it as a weapon. They start kind of batting away some of the of the creatures. Uh, then Ren's like, hey, Nabutuku, use your ability thing. And Nabutuku's like, no, I've only just recovered my stamina. And so Ren's like, come on, do it. I'll, I'll, I'll teach you how to cook. And so he uses Frenzied Roar to order the, d- the diseased Magus to attack each other. But then they all start grouping together and grow into one really, really big one. It snatches up Naputuku and Ren. Ren, of course, is like, Ronru! And she's like, no, the Maguchan is suffering. Everyone outside suffering, too. And you're part of Maguchan, so why are you wreaking havoc like this? And the diseased Magu says, I bring about illness and destruction. I devour healthy flesh and blood. And Ru is like, I won't let you do that. Maguchan's the one who taught me how terrible colds are. I thought she knew that already. Anyway, she throws Nato at it. And when it enters its body, uh, the Nato fights the bacteria and uh, disintegrates it. And then Magu sneezes out the suppository and everyone pops out. And Magu is feeling nice and healthy now. And Ren's like, shouldn't we have just fed him Nato to help him get better to begin with? Yay. But then we would have had a chapter. True. Izuma is not doing so hot after trying to fight uh, Magu for so long. Ruru feeds him some potion. Ren clearly gets jealous. And Uneris is like, wait a minute. This boy has the hots for her. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's it. I wasn't crazy high in this chapter. so It's weird. It's sort of just like the same premise of last chapter. A character is six, so the other ones take care of them but just not as good. So mm. it feels weird. I guess it makes sense. One character being sick would pass the sickness on to the person next to them, but it was just weird to kind of do these back to back. Yeah. And I'm obviously they took a very different approach to the way this was handled. This was much more of just a goofy comedy chapter as opposed to the more kind of heartfelt, uh, one last time. Uh, but in no sense, however, your rule about, Magu's trans great when Magu's the focus, even though he was the one who got sick, he wasn't actually really in this chapter yeah. very much. So there you go. Unless you count the monster versions of him that don't say anything and just like scream for blood, basically. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it is what it is. All right, Nick, let's move on to We Never Learn. So this was kind of weird. Um, not just the chapter. But also a chapter title change as well, because now we're on question 179 
X, a pizza bet equals the Queen of Thin Ice Part 2. Last time it was just called the Ice Queen. Yes. So, guess it's changed now. Um, maybe they, maybe the uh, translator just decided to go with a different interpretation of the uh, Japanese. Well, it's interesting because all of the other titles have basically been the title that girl has had. Like mm-hmm. Thumbelina Supercomputer, right. Ebony Mermaid, uh, Tomorrow Night's Pixie. Like those are all been the names. So Kirisu has always been, kind of been called the Ice Queen. So it's interesting yeah. to shift it over to the Queen of Thin Ice. Be curious to find out if there's a, a reason for that. Uh, anyway, Yurega's being a good teacher. He's actually learning how to do some pretty good teaching. And Kirisu actually compliments him. And it's just like, you know what? If you relax, you'll be fine. A student walks up to them, says, hey, do you have a girlfriend? No. Hey, Kirisu, have you had a bunch of boyfriends? Anyway, I need to know. I, there's a boy I want to see. I want to I know how I can, you know, what tactics I should use to get him to notice me. And Yurega is, of course, like, that's not a appropriate question to ask your teacher please don't ask me this this is very very uncomfortable um and she's just like hey you know what it's a silly question that sort of knowledge is something everyone learns in time i can't tell you this but it would it would it would just hinder your growth so i i won't tell you you'll come to the answer i want you to reflect deeply on it and come with the answer to me tomorrow and that's um that's kind of bullshit it's kind of bullshit also, not, I don't not just for like the plot reason, but like, no, no, that's something you have to learn your own times. No, it's not. No, it's not. Someone learns it from somebody eventually, generally. So you can learn that that kind of thing. You can learn with your own experience. But I mean, look, I'm not one to say like, well, just look up, you know, those alpha male, you know, uh, ladies, men tricks in order to score any. You know, I don't mean that, but. There are there are some pieces of advice that you could get from other people that would help you in dating. Mm. Those pieces of advice could be very straightforward, such as relax and be yourself. Or they could be like, hey, you know, you're never going to be able to go on a date with someone if you don't get up the confidence to try and ask them out. They could be very matter of fact things that you will learn eventually, but there's no harm in, in learning them earlier. So for her, it's like, uh, this is something that everyone learns in their own time because she is, you know, trying to Same avoid wise. the fact that she doesn't know the answer. It's still, no, you're wrong. Like, so. Also, I, I'll be talking a lot about this chapter. I do yes. want to take just a moment to be like, I, what is with Kirisu's art in this panel? I don't understand. Her shorter. Yeah. Her hair's shorter. Her, like, it doesn't look like. I don't know. Maybe it's like a gravier differently. Never mind. Okay. Her it's, hair is actually just shorter. Now. She just, she just okay. feels very odd in that mm-hmm. panel. Like, I don't know. There's something with like the anatomy of it or something like that. It doesn't look yeah. as graceful as I think it's trying to come off as her eyes look too large. I think it's I think. that it's like the hand back there, which I know is meant to be like her brushing her hair back, but then like the butt jettisoned out at the same time. It's just a very odd look. Anyways, Uega goes back home. He's like, cool. I finished all my lessons or no, I had to start prepping. You know, I, I better get to bed actually. So uh, he's about to go to sleep when Kirisu knocks at his door and is like, what's your preference in women's swimwear, red or white, a bikini or a one piece? What's your preference? So there's a moment where Uega's thinking about it, and he's like, uh, and you really can't blame him because she did burst through his window asking which one he liked more. So 
you know, in her vacuum sealed pants. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, Nick, she's wearing track suits, which, as we all know, is generally what women want to wear when they want to lift and support their buttocks. Um, <laughs> that's just that's, you know, a natural thing that they wear. It's um, like a bra for your ass. It's basically a bra for her ass. Uh, no, actually, Kirisu is playing a romance simulation game called He's My Ex-Student. That's not weird. Uh, and she's like, yeah, it's a video game called He's My Ex-Student based on the popular series He's My Student, in which a student refers to his fe- uh, returns as a fellow teacher and colleague. And so, so, so hold on. Okay. So first of all, I know the point you're going to make, and I'll yeah. let you make that. But first of all, she is doing this, as we learn shortly, to kind of learn what she's actually supposed to tell the student who asked for her for advice. So why'd she go for this genre? That's... Shouldn't she have gone for a co-student relationship mm-hmm. to get insight on that? Yeah, I, I, I maybe she's definitely trying to lean into things here. But it's definitely like, why did you pick this specific game if this isn't the situation you're actually trying to resolve? Like, it feels like you used an actual problem you have to maybe sideways into something else you're also trying to do. But the first thing was also dumb. And she's subconsciously exploring an interest that she hasn't acknowledged that she has. What you're saying. She says, basically, she's trying to remedy her ignorance because she doesn't know how guys hearts work. So she's going to be playing this game so that she can figure out how humans have uh, relationships, basically. Emotions. Emotions, yeah. So uh, this is a very cool character trait of uh, Kirisu's. Uh, so Uega's just like, wait, so your romantic experience, she's like, silence. Excessive uh, prying is detrimental to your health. So she's basically trying to say, like, hey, I haven't had a whole lot of experience, which is perfectly fine. Uh, it's a little bit boring. Not boring. A little bit gross. That's the word I was trying to go for. It's a little bit gross. Not that Kirisu needs to have had any relationships in her life or anything like that. Um, it is a little gross, though, that it feels like every girl in We Never Learned basically had to be feel like they're a pure virgin who has never had the experience of another guy uh, in every single character trait especially because it makes them all start to blend together as we'll kind of get to by the end of this chapter but Kirisu apparently has never had any experience with boys before so she's trying to learn it here and she sits down in her uh super tight tracksuit pants which somehow maybe they're a size too small and she didn't realize it because they're already like it's already like pulling down her butt as she's playing the game and she's like oh this is this is so complicated i don't i don't know how anyone could possibly beat this game and it's only this it's basically the one funny thing it's because she keeps hitting all the stupidest choices that clearly end a relationship where it's just like oh hey should we study things together and she's like what no do it on your own you're like why did you pick that obviously the other two she's like but we teach different subjects. How could we prep questions together? I do like that moment of like logic from her. <laughs> uh, but she, he, is just like, look, just apologize to, to the student tomorrow. You know, this isn't going to work. And here she's like, no, fuck that. When I make up my mind, I do something. So we're going to, we're going to make this work. Besides, she trusted me with her question. 
So Yuriga's like, all right, fine, then I'll help you. And they spend all night playing the game. Kirisu demands that she gets to wear one of Yuega's shirts because that's a scene that happens in the game. So she's a method acting her way through it, basically. Um, there's a small joke about the fact that she's like, wow, it's a really big shirt when you think about it. Uh, but it's, we've seen how swole Yuiga is. Yeah, so it's not I a mean, big surprise. No, it's, it's very true. Um, there's a whole moment of Yuega being like, oh, pluck at his clothes and look at him coquettishly. Yes. I've never heard that word before, so I guess it's we're going to learn. basically only ever used in this exact context. Okay. It, it kind of means like... Mm. So, she's basically, they managed to get through the entirety of the game. Uh, it sort of ends on like a little bit of a romantic moment where both of them, at the same time, are supposed to be like, Oh, oops. I guess maybe there's a moment because we don't see it from kirisu's embarrassment really that maybe this was all intentional on kirisu's part because it's weird if she does it like i i can't justify in my mind that she would have ignorantly gotten to this point and been like oh oops maybe i shouldn't have gotten a game about sleeping with one of my ex-students and then hang out with one of my ex-students and romantically talk about what it would be like to sleep with them before getting to this point be like oh right uh, I guess just comedy gets you there or whatever. But, you you know, Kirsty's like, I guess you must have a lot of experience with love. And Yuega's like, nope, not at all. I'm super inexperienced. So maybe in this route, Yuega never had any feelings with any of the girls or it just never worked out. So there you go. They all died in a car accident. <laughs> the future devil rules. We never found out what happened to the other girls in the Yasumi route, so... Yeah. So, the next day, Yuega and Karasu come in. They're very tired because they spent all night playing a video game. Oh, which is weird. I feel like those visual novel games, could you, know, you can run through them in like four hours, it feels like. They're not that long. If you're actually reading the options, it takes a while, though. Yeah, that's so. true, I guess. Um, and then basically they're like, oh, hey... We just started to feel like... Or maybe Teresa was just like, no, I'm getting that harem ending. We're going to do all (laughs) this. We're doing every ending. (laughs) Uh, So basically, they're like, okay, the two people already became a couple, so all of our work was for nothing. Uh, And Teresa's just like, well, that was tiring. Sorry to put you through all of that. At least let she buy you lunch. She grabs onto Yuiga's coat and looks at him coquettishly. And she's like, ah, interesting. That actually does seem to have a certain effectiveness. So Yuega's like, don't use me for your experiments. And uh, him and Ogata share a big laugh and the chapter ends. Uh, Chris. But it was him and Ogata. That was an Ogata. That was an Ogata moment. (laughs) I know what you're going for. But that is Kirisu that the chapter was about. Ogata was not in this chapter. Then why was the chapter all about Ogata's character traits, but didn't include her at all? I don't know, Chris. (laughs) I just don't know. Why would you have a character whose sole interest is learning human emotions so she can make games and wants to learn about love? So, of course, she'd go to a, a game to help her understand it and then have that character not be the one whose entire character is around that. And then uses the what she's picked up from the game to run an experiment and then notes the results of said experiment. Yeah. Um, I don't know why 
Kirisu basically had to co-opt one of Ogata's biggest character traits for presumably just this lone singular chapter. Maybe Susui-sensei was just trying to find a way to extend this story arc, the uh, Kirisu uh, route, a little bit and was just short on one-off ideas and so used an unused Ogata idea for it and changed a bit of the context so they would kind of sort of fit. Um, All of the routes to one extent or another, I think except for the Yuruka arc, uh, had, you know, these kind of one-off things to start things off just to kind of like establish, hey, this is the couple that's going on. This is a little bit of what they're up to before they actually go through the events that they get them together. But they've been a varying quality. And I think that more than anything, they've actually decided the quality of the routes Mm -hmm. because like the ones with Ogata were terrible. The ones with Fumino were okay. The ones with Asumi were, even though at the beginning, it was all pointless, except for, you know, establishing the, like, stitching thing that, yeah. that Usumi had to do later. But other than that, it was basically all pointless. There was that one guy who didn't like y- Yuiga and got them all lost in a cave. And why? Just because. So that, you know, Yuiga and Usumi could, you could see them getting along and getting closer. That was it. It had no relevance, basically, on anything else. Uh, but... It was those stories were more enjoyable than than the ones with Fumino. Those stories with Fumino were more enjoyable than the ones with Ogata. And thus far, these stories with Kirisu have been shit. So (laughs) it's only been two. It's only they can get better. There's like six or seven chapters to turn this around and make this an enjoyable arc. (laughs) But I'm not optimistic thus far. It's it's worrying if it's like you didn't have enough ideas for Kirisu that you had to kind of, if you did have to use an Ogata chapter, like that's a little concerning. Um, I know that there's a little bit of overlap in the Kirisu and Ogata character that they're both kind of very sort of logical in the way they go about things. So it's not like as on thing, like if Fumino had done this, then I would have absolutely been like, this is fucking ridiculous. That's like a complete character break. There's a little bit of an overlap where I'm like, I kind of get it, but it is very hard not to notice it and just be like, it's weird and it's not a good start to all this. I do want to stress when I mentioned before that it's odd they give Hurt Ray Kirisu not having relationships or anything like that. I want to stress, I don't, I don't think it's necessary for her character to have had any relationships, but it's again, this issue where that's kind of the only way we never learn has been doing these relationships. There was Ogata and Fumino are basically ignorant about love. Uh-huh. Uruka was interested in Yuiga from the start. So of course she had never dated any other guys. The only one you could say maybe had dated other guys is Asumi. But maybe. when you saw her real personality, you know that she was actually really shy about that stuff. So, yeah. and there was never any indication that she had. So yeah, once it's, it's, you know, once, twice, three times, five times. He's like, oh, no, I've never been in a date with a guy before. It's like, that's a little bit weird. Yeah. And it does kind of stress. And it is weird because it's like saying like, oh, yeah, your first love is your true love. When it's like, yeah, but Yuika's got endings where he ends up with all five of them. So <laughs> how true is that? It's it's just odd, especially when it's like the character who would have had the most time. So like, I can understand if they were like, oh, well, all the time she spent ice skating. She never had time for that. And... 
what it, you know while she's a teacher she just never had time for that even though we kind of saw that other teachers definitely had the hots for her and you know it could have been very fine just to say she's not interested in them maybe she's not interested in anybody like that maybe she's only have any interest in somebody who she's going to have romantic feelings for and that's that's the way she kind of has to get in all that'd be perfectly fine and valid. I just feel like we're not going to get any part of that or anything that kind of suggests to that. We're just going to get, nope, Kirisu is another pure virgin, you know, idol for Uega to, to kind of be in a relationship with. And it's just, I don't know. Yeah, as you said, it's just, it's boring when you do it this many times in a row. All right, we'll see what happens. Uh, come, We'll see what the actual plot of this story is eventually, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Huzzah! Dr. Stone, Z equals 171. Time to get stoned. Z equals 171. Staring at the same light. Uh, we start things off with a cover page. It's uh, Kohaku and Luna hanging out. And they're drinking together, just kind of hanging out. Luna's looking at Kohaku really weirdly. Don't no you mean Boona? I'm not going to really make a big emphasis. It was just right there. I had to take it while I could. Mm. i got to be careful not to use... Hard U sounds around you, I guess. <laughs> but Nick, don't you mean hard boo sounds around me? <laughs> do, do, I deserve do, that do, one. Do, 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 do. I deserve that one. I can't. I can't even deny that I deserve that one. <laughs> Woo. All right. So uh, we take. We get kind of some shots around. Uh, you know, a little bit. Um, Kaseki is uh, gets. I guess a phonogram basically whipped up so that I don't know. He just pulls it out of his bag while saying ho, ho, ho. He, he this is the most like Santa thing. Like he's, you know, this old bearded man pulls something out of a bag. So, very anyway. Uh, so they play the, the, the record from Biakia for Zeno so that he can hear his message and stuff. And so Zeno's like, all right, I, yeah, you know, you know, you kind of kind of, he kind of reflects fondly on Biakia because of course they, you know, knew each other at NASA. But then he's like, man, you know, this, this kind of thing, you know, delivering in a record, uh, for the future so that, you know, they would have information they needed to survive. That's just the kind of thing that he would do. You know, he was such a weird man that, you know, embodied both sentiment and rationality so you know he found the most rational way to handle doing all this very generous stuff uh and so sink is like all right you know and with this you know we can put our heads together and figure out you know what's going on in south america and they're like yeah we'll use the information that we each have and we will ascertain exactly where the beam originated from basically uh we cut out to the deck where everyone is, you know, drinking tea together. And uh, Luna brings up the point of like, should we really just like be hanging around out here? But uh, Ryusu and Gen are like, oh, no, no, I mean, you know, we would just kind of like be getting in the way. You know, those are the top scientific guys. Uh, but Chrome gets an idea. And so it's like, hey, Francois, hey, okay, yeah, no, no, let me take this, the, the snacks and tea to them. And so he's clearly just going into eavesdrop. And there's this very funny, quick little visual sequence where he imagines Senku and Zeno like working on scientific maps together. And I love the detail that Zeno is manipulating a pen with his teeth because he's still tied up in Chrome's imagination. But then he gets into the room and they're blowing bubbles together, <laughs> dancing around. And he's just, what's going on? <laughs> Well, his first response is, whoa, those bubbles are huge. Wait a moment. 
Wait, let me join the fun. Wait, why are you guys having fun? <laughs> I love those three stages is a perfect like way for a character to react to that. <laughs> so basically, um, after we get this explanation from Mecha Senku of how you make a super soap bubble solution, uh, they explain. So we decided that the news that probably activates somewhere in Brazil but then we made the, use this bubble as a model to show it expanding for, around the Earth. Uh, and so they've got like a globe set up. And so they show like, oh, see, look, you know, uh, the we know that it didn't reach into space in order to get the station that the astronauts were on. Uh, and if it expands from this point, then look, it doesn't perfectly encompass the globe. It just, you know, kind of goes a little bit further out to one side. And then Chrome points out, oh, so if this model is accurate, then for Senku is on the other side of the world, the Petrobeam should have actually conned from under his feet. And they're like, yeah, but the reality is that it came towards me like a wave over the horizon. So that inconsistency is a hint and we can use that to help find the solution. And Chrome's like, OK, well, what if the beam moves through Earth slower than it would move through the air? And Zeno says, well... That's an interesting hypothesis, but what we need to rely on is not intuition, but rather objectivity and replicability, because a science pro must view matters objectively and attempt to show that a phenomenon can be reproduced. So there's a very weird example that Zeno gives where he's like, if someone said, I can see ghosts, why do you think a science professional wouldn't show any interest in that? And Chrome's like, because ghosts don't exist. It's like, I mean. It's a straightforward answer. But Senku says, I'd be excited to research something like that, but only if those ghosts were somehow causing the same phenomenon over and over again. Basically, you know, if one person happens to say, oh, there's ghosts, then whatever. But if there are observed replicable, replicable results, such as ghosts being around causes the temperature to drop consistently, then that would be worth looking into. And then Sekou is like, yeah, and we can use the temperature differential to create a Stirling engine and generate electricity. So that obsession with being practical. But I do like the idea of like, hey, something sounding ridiculous is not the problem, but it being replicable means that it's an actual scientific event that we can actually study and do something with. So they share a bunch of information over the course of the next page. They account for like time differentials in the time zones and they, you know, go over it and they're making a bubble and more bubbles and stuff as they go on. And they're trying to figure this out. Uh, and it, they're like, OK, well, uh, w there is the whole space station thing. And we know that if it had gone out to a certain point, then the space station would have crashed into it. So that means that the wave of light must have traveled really close to the Earth's surface. So it wasn't light as light is much faster, it would have been like a luminous substance dragged down by the Earth's gravity as it washed over the surface. And so they go on and on, and Chrome looks at Senku in a very particular way that's going to have some people being very excited. <laughs> like, you don't look at a person and have that and have lights appear around them like that, unless you're thinking of something very particular. Anyway. Kohaku is like, Chrome's taking his sweet time delivering that food. He's probably spying on the meeting. So she goes to check it out. And now all three of them are blowing <laughs> bubbles and stuff. And she's like, <sighs> and she just kind of like sneaks back down the hatch. <laughs> so 
they do some math. They calculate some stuff out. Chrome's starting to get a little bit lost because they're speaking a little bit uh, past uh, where he's capable. But eventually they make some estimates and they decide that, okay, you know, bring our ideas together. We can actually determine that there is a longitude and latitude that they think is the origin of the whole mystery, uh, which is indeed somewhere in Brazil, although more towards the center of South America. Uh, so, and they have the like exact uh, latitude and longitude down to feet, but um, yeah, anyway. What did you think of this chapter, Chris? I like this chapter. Uh, I thought this was a fun chapter in comparison to the last couple we've had. Uh, particularly the last chapter where I was like, I don't know, just didn't really connect their relationship. But I do like seeing them actually talk about science. I said last time I was like, I wasn't excited to see next week's chapter. And I ended up really liking it. Um, I like just the silly joke that every time someone comes upstairs, they're really busy just blowing bubbles. And there is a lot of science to this chapter. But generally, it's the same way of Food Wars. I just kind of skim through the parts I don't understand like i'm, I'm not gonna die be able to digest and i just get to the parts i'm like i can pick that up yeah sure bubbles shit like that fucking cool so i dug that it's not like otherworldly or transcendent as a chapter but it's fine it it worked better than the the past couple uh chapters have dr stone hasn't been quite as exciting as it has been in the past for me because uh, the end of the whole xeno battle thing was very back and forth up and down and so it didn't feel like there was a very consistent level of excitement being carried through that. And so by the time we got to this chapter, I was you know, feeling a little bit tepid on it. Um, so this chapter doesn't have me like very excited, but in and of itself, I thought that this chapter was good. Uh, I thought that it was a nice, you know, just, you know, three characters being nerds together and showing some personality while they did. So there were some really funny jokes. Uh, like you said, you know, Chrome's escalation. I really like, you know, Kohaku's reaction to it. It's not like, hey, let me blow bubbles too. It's just like, I'm just going to leave. <laughs> no, no, I'm, getting, I'm getting out of here. I hate this. Um, so it was fun. And uh, I'm glad that we had a good chapter. A chapter of Dr. Stone that was like, yeah, that was good again. And I don't have a whole lot of like, well, but what about this? And this was confusing. It's like, hey, they did all the typical science, science-y bullshit. And it was good. So, yeah. All right, Nick, let's talk about Mashal Magic. Indeed. <gasps> you did it. Hold on, wait. Okay, so Mashal Magic and Muscles, Chapter 36, Mash Burn Dead, and the Cream Puff Celebration. So we open with the Biss Razor who I'm very sad to say I can't do anything with that name because it's already too spooky. Uh, basically, a, a flashback of him being recruited by Lord Abel saying, you are my tool, come along. And uh, Abyss saying, you know, kind of injured, but but moving along, saying, Lord Abel. So uh, we continue just Mash and his friends doing their big celebration. They're dancing around. Everyone's like, oh, are you a hero? Yes, I am doing all that stuff. And then eventually Mash is like, can I go to the bathroom? And everyone's like, I I, I bet he was holding it the entire time. Well, I guess that's over. By the way, fucking Dot's face is still like punched in during all of this. So I like that we're just continuing that joke. Um, 
Everyone's like, well, I guess this that's over. This school is very dangerous. And then uh, Mystery Man floats in. And we don't see what he does. He doesn't seem to do anything. But all the characters are knocked away. And Dot's like, hey, what do you think? And he sees that this guy is just floating. And like when he lands on the ground, you know, he, he just approaches Abel. And he's like, oh, you look rather rough. Did you lose? You couldn't even rise to the top of the school. That's pretty bad. But... You did do one thing, and you got us good intel on Headmaster Wahlberg. And just uh, suddenly, Lord Abel just starts choking himself. His own hands just wrap around his throat and begin to strangle him. And the mystery person just says, but you didn't find the one we're searching for, which is fine, really, because as it turns out, we don't need you. And Mash comes back. He's like, hey, is everyone okay with orange juice and cream puffs? <laughs> which cannot possibly go together. <laughs> but... He's so earnest about oh, it. Oh, yes. The the acidity of, of the orange juice is complemented by the cream puff. <laughs> also, he didn't bring orange juice. He's just carrying a plate of cream puffs. Someone else has got to get the orange juice <laughs> and the cream puffs. These are mine. <laughs> and, uh, you know, mystery guy's like, what? Can't this guy see we're in the middle of something? Mash is like, oh, is the party over? And... There's this quiet, stupid moment where this guy is just glaring at Mash for inter- interrupting his big dramatic scene, and a fly lands on Mash's nose. He like tries to like twitch and get it away, and then eventually he sneezes and just launches all of the cream puffs across the room, and they impale themselves on the stupid mystery guy's fucking Jesus crown of thorns. <laughs> and it, Mash is still like, oh hey, we were gonna eat those, could you give them back? <laughs> Uh, so the guy just throws them all to the ground and he's just like, you insolent. And then he starts having this throbbing pain in his head. He's like, no, is it the resonance? It's here, but I didn't have this headache before. It only came when he walked in. No, not him. And he gets a shot of mash and he's like, I mean, it can't be hit. No, not him. It's him. He's the one we've been searching for. Him. Really? It's just a shot of Mash's face as he stares off into the middle distance. I really want those cream puffs going. <laughs> <laughs> so mystery guy's like, fine, I'll I'll finish what I came here for first. I'm gonna kill Abel. And he, he moves, he lifts, and, and Abel just starts, you know, get rising into the air, you know, like arms outstretched crucifixion style, and he pulls out his wand, which actually looks quite a lot like dots. Probably coincidence, just because it's full of spikes mm-hmm. as well. But mm, maybe that is relevant. And he just says, "Let's see how match you are for me now. Die." And we're not exactly clear what his magic is. It looks like he summons a big wave of thorns or something. But it comes out. We see Mash yes. make a movement, and then before we can see anything else, Abyss Razor has jumped into the scene and taken the shot that was meant for Lord Abel, and. Abyss falls down and is like, I'm sorry, Mash. I I might have to miss those cream puffs. Aww. Yeah. And the mystery... So I thought that this was love when I first saw that shot. Yeah. Because, you know, love uh, Abyss just has the very effeminate hairstyle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that love was there. So <laughs> I was like, Abyss Razor. Okay, yeah, I can buy Abyss just coming out of nowhere. I mean, that's kind of his yeah, ability. Yeah, he, he so had super fine, speed. So. I literally was just like, holy shit, that's very out of character for love to do. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, to our knowledge, Abyss Razor identifies as a guy at the very least. We don't really know until like a data page comes out for the people who in chat who are asking if Abyss Razor is a guy or a girl. But to our knowledge, I believe they've only been referred to with he pronouns. So that's the way we're going to go with. Um, so, yeah. As I know so far, yes. Yeah. Um, so strange mystery guy is just like that should have been fatal but that guy that mushroom head threw a rock at the last second and altered the trajectory of my magic ah what a loyal dog seems the trash has rewarded you for picking it up i find it revolt and before he could finish calling it revolting mash just steps on the ground and creates a gigantic crater that interrupts him and then kicks a stone that he knocked up and basically like nails the guy in the head and the guy just like pulls the stone away with his magic and he's like "Ooh, i see someone has a short fuse and he like licks the stone he's like maybe i'll kill you too and mash's like did you just lick a rock oh well i guess you're at that age anyway <laughs> which is such a vicious fucking burn <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess you're a chuny. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so Mass just finishes the chapter by saying, "Hey, I've got to go get Mass Guy to a hospital. Try to stop me, and I'll beat the stuffing out of you." Okay, so the arc's still going, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for the last chapter, that I was like, this was kind of weird. This chapter got right back into being pretty badass, so I'm all for it. I don't like Mash's humor was really funny in it. I like Abyss Razor actually coming in and, and protecting Lord Abel. It's kind of like a discount version of uh, Haku and uh, Zabuza, but still, I kind of like it. <laughs> so it's just, you know, it was a good chapter all the way through. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, Hakbu and Zabuza. Gotcha. It was all right. Um, stop it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> burn your eye out <laughs> um i don't really have a lot to say about this chapter. there are a couple of good jokes uh i didn't get incredibly excited over it though mostly because i'm kind of like we're still going so yeah we're still there I, I was not honestly there okay you were happy for both of us let's put it that okay. way okay that's good but uh there were a lot kind of to think of it there were just a lot of manga this week that i wasn't very high on and when you combine that with there just not being as many manga as usual this week all right so uh on. I, I i will note that i desperately hope this character gets a name really soon because i hate having to refer to a character this much who is still with zero identity so if he doesn't get one next week i'm just gonna make up a nickname for him cool sounds good to me uh let's move on to ayakashi triangle chapter 18 sosuke hinojiki the genio uh, with another color page for Aikashi Triangle after they had one like three weeks ago or something like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. The, 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 the Kentaro Yabuki series is popular. So, yeah. Get used to it, everybody. Uh, yep. Get used to it. We get a flashback from Shiragani's perspective back to, of course, when he still was at full power. And he first met uh, the Jinyo that now calls itself Sosuke. I really like the uh, the the form that uh, Sosuke has in this chapter. This uh, you know silhouetted humanoid form, but it's kind of unbalanced uh, around the body, and it kind of ha it's it's shapeless in a way where you can't tell if it's supposed to be masculine or, or feminine. Uh, and 
just the mouth emerging from its otherwise featureless head is really cool. Mm. Uh, but this was when Shirogane first showed up and, and approached uh, the Jinyo, who has been causing trouble lately because it's indiscriminately killing, devouring Ayakashi. And the Jinyo is, is just uh, because, you know, Shirogane is like, look, this goes against the, the principle of Ayakashi. Ayakashi don't devour other Ayakashi. And the genius like, I guess you're right, but that's because I'm a genio, the Ayakashi closest to humans, which sounds kind of like commentary to me in a way that like, yeah, animals don't kill members of their own species unless they're humans kind of thing. <laughs> um, but the Shiragai, but Shiragai is just like, well, I'm the king. It's my duty to protect the order of the, of the Ayakashi, so I'll destroy you. And they clash, of course. We catch up to the present where Shiragane is in his kitty cat form, and he just says, I was able to damage it, but I was also severely injured, and I had to retreat. And Yudokura brings to the point of, oh, so he's that strong, because I've never heard of this genio Ayakashi before. And Shiragane says, well, yeah, it was the first one I first time I'd seen one ever. Uh, so he caught me off guard, and of course, he devours Haku to grow. If he devours Suzu's Haku, then he'll be completely invincible. So he takes advantage of this opportunity to go, hey, before that happens, Matsuri, return me to my true form. Matsuri's still just kind of racing to go and save Suzu. So guy's like, come on! You know, this is a trap! This is bad! And Matsuri's like, even if that's true, I have to get Suzu back. That's all that matters. We see that Suzu's been captured, but is unharmed. She's dreaming of waffles, so she's totally fine. Yep. She wakes up in an abandoned resort hotel apparently which according to uh sosuke uh this place was this you know a place where a lot of people's dreams came to die because these people got carried away during the economic bubble in the 80s and uh then of course it all came crashing down so of course he's drawn to it because he's powered by negative human emotions so um suzu demands to know why he ate the ayakashi in the previous chapter and he's like, well, I wanted a taste of the haku of an Ayakashi medium. You know, I was once this small, weak Ikon, but by wandering around, preying on small Ayakashi, I obtained their haku, and I grew power and intelligence. But one day I realized, with a little preparation, the taste of haku can change by hurting them, by devouring their friends in front of them. Instead of killing them quickly, I toy with them as they attempt to escape, and this deliciously changes the taste of haku. I search for gourmet dining created of fear and despair. So he's very super villainy. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's the point. And Suzu sums up by saying, you're really sick. And he's like, yep, the same as you humans. Humans establish civilization. Yeah, so it is. It is definitely social commentary. <laughs> by building upon the sick and uncontrolled pursuit of inquiry and curiosity, I was just about to start the prep work for our human feast. But how fortunate I am to meet an Ayakashi medium, the ultimate ingredient. But then Suzu is like, hey, my love of food is actually an important character trait, Buster. <laughs> because listen, I I'm not just here to suggestively eat ice cream all the time. It's <laughs> also my primary motivation in life. She says, I love desserts, so I understand not being able to resist something. But if I were to only see others as ingredients for food, I would be so sad. You're not. And so 
Sosuke's like, well, you're still not panicking despite the situation. You believe that Matsuri Kazumaki will save you, right? But I wonder about that. Because the area around this building is protected by those who worship me. The Eo, Those that evolved from Ikon. And since I'm a genio, the highest form, they obey my every command. So, they gotta get past my minions before they can get to the final boss fight. So, your princess is another castle. I can... I've you know, they're not coming for you. Mm. I'll make you feel despair and then I'll eat you over with Matsuri's group. Nino Kuru pretty quickly is just like, Hey, you go on ahead. I'm going to test out this new jutsu. You get in my way. So, Hey, they're bros. That's nice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in the goofiest part of the chapter, Matsuri is like, my sash is a paraglider <laughs> flies away. <laughs> it's one of those things. that's like, all right. Yeah. He's got a method of flying, but it's also very goofy looking. So it's it's, uh, it's only because in my mind I'm like visualizing how it would be animated, and I want it to not be animated. It's just the still cut of him with the suit that you move higher up. Like <laughs> beep, 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 beep. I'm uh, coming, Suzu. <laughs> you can see the trace pattern. <laughs> you can see the guy's hand every so often on the, the shifting to sell. Uh, Sosuke is chasing Suzer around the abandoned hotel because he wants to make her experience despair, blah, blah, blah. She trips and falls. Matsuri arrives to save her. And, uh, then, <laughs> honestly, it's very satisfying because Sosuke is in the middle of a, of a, oh, yes, human suffering fuels me rant. And he's like, ah, I'd love to see a frightened face. Matsuri comes flying in through the broken window. And before Sosuke can react, dashes forward and just decks him across the face. His entire face moves over one side because he's been hit so hard. And uh, Suzu's like, yay, Matsuri's here. <laughs> and of course, Matsuri is like, I'm going to open up a windhole in your stomach. I'm going to shove my foot up your ass and, and kick your ass with your ass. Yeah, it was like kind of a weird, badass line to leave on. But yeah, it was a pretty, pretty good chapter, I actually feel. Um, I think that Sosuke's evil rants are over the top but you know what he's got a nice gimmick for for uh an early shonen villain and uh I'd, like i said i actually quite liked the uh, flashback at the beginning so plus that that shot where he gets punched is actually really satisfying so yeah i i ended up kind of like skimming through the chapter because the moment he started his evil speech it's i was just like this character doesn't have enough of a personality yet to have an evil speech so <laughs> it was kind of weird to get one uh, but I actually really do like the moment in the woods, too, of uh, Shark Boy basically being like, go on ahead. And I also like the idea of, I have a jutsu I want to test out. So it kind of teases the idea that this character has a new powerful technique that we might see in the future. Because as we said, this thing's probably sticking around. It probably is. It's up to chapter 18 now, and there's no signs of it being canceled anytime soon. So. Mm. All but right. Hey. It's been better recently, so. Yeah, we barely got any fan service in this chapter, so, you know. Yeah, just some just some kind of like, hey, a panty shot occasionally. Yeah. While there was something else happening, so. <laughs> it's, so it's sad that's the bar we're allowed to be like, yeah, you know, they panty shot It him. was a plot-relevant <laughs> panty shot. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine, just let it happen. Um, all right, Nick, let's talk about Black Clover, page 269, the one who can't use magic. 
So Asta now is squaring off against Sabretooth, and it's an intense fight. Asta has to be like, all right, I guess I see you have reasons for this. So in that case, I'm going to accept those feelings, and I'll win, too. Sabretooth's busy having, like, this big dramatic, like, no, my family, blah. Um... So Sabretooth's like, no, fuck you. What a joke. A one-armed man can't win this fight. He couldn't use magic. Even if you had magic, you couldn't win this. So Asta just runs up and punches him in the face, basically. It's weak for punches, I guess. It's, it's very, like, unlike impressive because basically Sabretooth just slams down one of the swords, like, in, like, a long uh, vertical strike. And Asta just moves to the side runs up and just punches him straight in the face <laughs> maybe i should move that cleaver he's Still like got time to move that cleaver i maybe should have struck with one more than one sword at a time i guess uh so nature boy rick player is watching on and it's just like the essence of the anti-magic devil's power is to cancel out magic but since asta can't use magic to begin with he's not actually at a big disadvantage in this fight Sabretooth's just like, that means, that doesn't mean I'm going to lose this. So he starts summoning more of Asta's swords, and they start flying out of the book until uh, Yami's sword starts to fly out of the book. And Asta reaches out and grabs it, and it actually felt like this should have been a huge moment because he grabs the katana by the blade, but there's no scene to show that it should be slicing through his fingers at that point. Like, that could have been a very cool Because it's being dish. yanked backwards through yeah. the air. And it's a katana. Yes. Like, you, I mean, like, he's he's got, you know, the cleavers uh, amongst his weapons. Maybe you could pass off, like, okay, he gripped it in such a way that he was able to grip it, you know, by the edge without actually it digging into his skin. He gets a full grip around the blade with his fingers clasping around the mm-hmm. sharp edge. So, yeah, there really should have been a part where he's like, no, oh, no, Captain Yami's katana. <laughs> well, I didn't need those fingers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I'm not even honestly saying like, oh, he should have had his fingers cut off. Like, I, I just mean it would have been actually a really cool visual to see that he was willing to like let his fingers and hand get sliced and seeing the blood come off. Because that's how important Yami's sword is to him. Like I, I was like, that's a that was a visual. I feel like we should have seen because that would have actually been really cool. It's a missed opportunity and a very obvious seeming one. Yeah. So uh, Sabretooth's just like, yeah, whatever. Without my power, these are just heavy chunks of scrap metal. And he's swinging his weapons all around. Uh, and he, you know, he basically like swings one of them down. Asta's ba- kind of able to defend himself using his using Yami's katana, but he's just like it doesn't matter how strong and tough your body is, you can't teleport, and iron won't shatter. That's not gonna work against a high ranking devil's magic. You can't win. I'll, I will. And then we get a little bit of a flashback about Sabretooth when he got sealed in the, the five-leaf grimoire and it, it felt like he was floating in empty space and how he was so angry back then, how he was so filled with rage over the the Vidya, I think was her name, something like that. Lavilia. Lavilia, her getting killed. So he's just like, I'll never forgive them, those devils. I swear it, I'll get them. And basically that anger manifested in his magicless body was anti-magic, the power to cancel out magic. He had attained power, but was stuck inside the grimoire. And that's when it chose a human 
or he says just then, so I don't know if it was specifically those two things coincided or when you were stuck in a book, you just lose all sense of time and they happen very far apart. Who knows? Uh, but he's just like, since I don't have magic, if I'm going to manifest into the human world again, it looks like I'm going to have to use this magicless human as a vessel. Even if it means stealing this guy's body, I'll find those devils and... And then he asks, you know, it stops because he's, you know, just screaming, I'll kill you. There's no way I could lose. He's swinging all the swords around. And Asta just kind of stops, takes a pause, exhales, and, like, does, like, a bunch of flips and stuff to get all around those moves. And we see a moment where he's reflected, you know, showing just how those movements are. And he's he's replicating the moves of the guy from the Water Temple arc. And he says, you know, if I focus and read your key, your swords are real easy to pick up. And a narrator comes in to say, Asta had watched all sorts of magic swordsmen in order to get... Which... <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> so this is kind of the point of this chapter, mm-hmm. which is Asta has gained fighting experience by trading with all sorts of different swordsmen. And when I looked at who the swordsmen were, I was like, Hold on. <laughs> Nick, it's all those important swordsmen. It's Yami... Leashed, yeah. Mars question mark well, Water was... Temple guy, fourth fifth person I don't know. <laughs> well, that's the guy from the Diamond Kingdom arc that was also in the novel, which I don't remember his magic at all. <laughs> so I'll give that one a pass. Leashed, one of his abilities was to use swords with his magic. Mm-hmm. Mars had one spell that summoned a big sword. But he used like crystal magic and he used it to like make armor and puppets and stuff. Dancer guy from the water temple arc. I'll give that to you. Yes, he was a swordsman. Yami. Yes, he's a swordsman. But all I was like, I mean, just because they had a sword themed attack doesn't mean they were a swordsman. <laughs> so. Um, so, yeah, I mean, That's why the silhouettes that are summoned around Asta are just Yami and dancer guys. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yes, narrator's like, he'd watched all sorts of swordsmen in order to get even a little closer to the movements of the knights he fought against, he'd fight against or alongside. You know, basically, he watched all these people and got learned, learned how to get stronger, and it's not just that he physically learned to get stronger, he also learned how to be a better fighter at the same way, too. And, uh... It's weird because it almost sort of frames it as though Nature Boy Rick Flair is supposed to be the one acknowledging this, but he doesn't. He wouldn't know any of those fights that happened. So, uh, basically, he's just kind of like watching. He's like, hmm, okay. <laughs> so, well, yeah. well, no, no, he's reacting because he recognizes Yami's technique because he knows yeah. Yami, and he okay. hates him. That's why he gets a little irked. I just meant the top panel where he he sees it there with the way the narration kind of falls on top of it. But Ast is like, your opponent isn't just some guy who can't use magic. It's a guy who can't use magic who's fought against a ton of insanely tough warriors. And uh, Sabretooth's like, no, I can't lose this. I kept cursing them all this time. I did all on my own, all on my own. And Asta says, I'm going to win and does something. I don't know what. Yes. I don't know what. <laughs> I assume it hits because Sabretooth's eyes have gone black, but if that move connected, Sabretooth's face should be impaled because yes. he thrust with the katana. So I don't know. Maybe he did like some reverse blade jutsu shit or something. <laughs> <laughs> or Yami's sword has just always been made of foam. 
Or maybe he ducked backwards to avoid it. I don't know. If he ducked backwards to avoid it, that scene is so much lamer, though, because he's like, I actually dodged. (laughs) (laughs) It's very confusing. Is Uh, this a blunt katana? People are saying it's supposed to be a blunt katana. Well, it wasn't blunt when Yami used it. And that's the thing is that we've seen his katana since he lost it. And it's had this kind of like decayed appearance and stuff, but it hasn't actually been demonstrated until exactly. Oh, no. Some I, I think they're saying it as a joke. He used it as a blunt katana because that's why he didn't cut his hand up when he pulled it out of the book. The so, people are saying the book makes swords blunt. I don't think those are established rules. I think that, I think <laughs> I think those are just things we explain away to explain why Aston doesn't cut people in half when he hits them. Some of the swords were produced by the book. This one was storing it. So did it change the katana? Probably. That hasn't been explained yet, though, is, the, is it? so? I mean, you, Whatever. Could, you could justify getting hit by the sword with a devil's skin. It's not strong enough to pierce him, but the force would still hurt. But that's not like then you would want to place the blade closer to the chin to show that that's what happened as opposed to this idea that Asta just like thrusted a sword and didn't, didn't bail this guy. I don't know. It's uh, yeah, it's, I like the idea of this chapter in theory, the idea that it's not that Asta is just better than this guy. It's that Asta has improved in a way that doesn't rely specifically on the devil's power because He's been training and not just training by himself, but actually learning from these people who are skilled in ways that he is not in learning their techniques. And that's, you know, a way of kind of also like working against the thing that Nash was doing, which was, hey, you've got to just tap into your devil's full power in order to do this. But in fact, it has nothing to do with the devil's strength that Ast is able to pull this off, but his own and the experiences he's been through and if that turns out to have been Nacht's uh, point the whole time, then so much the better. But certain ways that this, the certain details of this really work. The final shot is not really as impactful because it looks really awkward. And yeah, they're like the point I brought up earlier was some of those guys are not swordsmen. Uh, at least one of them is not. I still don't remember the guy from the diamond kingdom battles name, much less <laughs> what he could do. So, because <laughs> Yeah, Look, I'm, I'm I trying to remember, remember his Ladros name. from that, okay? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ladros. Great character. And the fact that they decided to use blood magic to, to control the king's minds, and this was a good thing. They were heroes. So, that. Yeah, uh, I like this chapter a little bit. I do, as I said, I really like the premise of it a lot. I think there were a couple missed opportunities, but I think the one thing I've kind of enjoyed most about Black Clover recently is that it feels like it's at a normal pace. Like, I feel like previously this chapter and the last chapter would have just been combined or something like that. Like, it actually, like, feels like we're at a reasonable pace for Asta to develop these things and to feel like anything kind of has weight. It may not be executed perfectly, but I appreciate that the the pacing is actually at a good place. Yeah. I mean, like... For once, my problem with the chapter is nothing to do with, like, I don't think that Asta actually earned this or anything like that. Because I think that he did. I think that this does actually pay off all the experience that we've seen Asta go through. It's just that 
the very moment in itself, the execution wasn't there for me. And that's definitely preferable to no, this does this doesn't work at all. So yes. All right, One Piece, chapter 993, The Dream of Wano. Uh so something happened at the beginning of this chapter that's a little odd for me because all right. There are people in Wano, and they're still celebrating because they don't know that a battle is going on and a festival is going on, and they don't know that stuff is happening over on Kaido's Island that, you know, has their entire fate uh, on the line, and they are pretty sure that they're just no longer going to be free anymore. That's all that they know. So they're partying like it's their, the last night they're ever going to be free, basically. So... um, Then there's... Um, some guys uh, going crazy. Don't know who they are uh, because <laughs> Queen's plague bullets have reached them. And according to Queen, he's like, oh, yeah, this is the shining jewel of my playgrounds. Ice Oni. Uh, then we cut over to Luffy, who is um, way down in the basement level of this tower. They, and he's fighting his way through to try and I can't even remember where he's trying. I think he's trying to get to Kaido. Yeah, he's tr- he's trying to get to Kaido, which is at the very top. So he's he's been trying to get up there, and they've been kind of stopped by the various numbers and things like that at the moment. Sanji is there with him, uh, lays out a bunch of uh, mooks with a spinning heel kick while his feet are on fire. Uh, some more Animal Kingdom pirate guys show up, uh, including a guy called Briscola, who's got a hand that's a gorilla. Mm-hmm. As you do. And he refers, he uses a technique which is gorilla punch punch because he punches with the arm and then the gorilla, which is his arm, punches. Okay. Yep. So Sanji starts fighting this guy. Um, Luffy wants to go and fight some more people. And Sanji's like, nope, conserve your strength so that you'll fight, you can fight Kaido. And Luffy's like, but it'll take you too long to handle all these guys alone. And Sanji's like, oh, God, it's 10 seconds too long for you. And Luffy's like, I'll do it in three. (laughs) And then Jinbei shows up and beats the guy immediately. And uh, they're back together. And he's like, "Okay, guys, I'm going to get you guys up to the roof. You have to conserve your power. Sanji's upset with him because he's like, no, no, I'm dragging Luffy along. And Jinbei's like, oh, you are? Oh, sorry. (laughs) I love that moment. It's such a small moment, but I I, I do like. Jimbei as the new member of the crew just has that moment he's like oh I, I didn't mean to enter into like a pre I didn't mean to like mess with what you guys have or anything like that meanwhile it's just San- Sanji being a little bit bitchy and just him being like oh sorry I didn't mean to like interfere I didn't I didn't want to mess with anything good guy Jimbei <laughs> oh he's very great so they start making their way up again of course uh, we see that there is a mysterious cat of some sort spying on Yamato and Momonosuke as Shinobu is trying to get Momonosuke away from Yamato. Poor guy. The cat is has got this seal of paper over its face, which seemingly connects it to the vision of Bao Huang. Mm-hmm. We have seen this character before. Okay, if you say so. <laughs> now, they she have reports, not been a super important character, so I'll say that. She reports these movements to King, uh, who starts to pass on some information to the rest of the Tobiropo, I think. Yep. That's them. Hey! Yep, yep, it passes on to who's who in Ulti. Yeah, so 
King's like, hey, listen, you know, they're they're trying to get Okoski Momonosuke on the Shogun's throne of Wano. We kill Momonosuke, bring his head to me, and that will break the will of the samurai. The pyres will be a separate matter, but Momonosuke's current lo- location is. And then we cut over to that current location. Shinobu's trying to get away from Yamato and Fishman. Yes, whose they are Fishman. Is Sa- Brosta. I don't know. Swordfish. Keys. (laughs) Yep, you got it. (laughs) Sasaki. Sasaki. Sasaki, okay. Uh, Sasaki commands his troops to fire on Shinobu, who comes kind of barreling through fire. Uh, She sees them launching a bunch of arrows and uses her own body to to shield Momonosuke from them. and then a big guy tries to chop her with an axe. Um, and Yamato bats him aside. And we are introduced to more Animal Kingdom pirates. The armored division. These poor creatures. What has happened to them? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who has gotten the worst of this arrangement. <laughs> But I think it's the guy whose body is permanently grafted onto an elef- onto a rhinoceros's back. Yeah, that one's not great. <laughs> Sasaki is uh, riding around in a throne on the thing's back as well. And so Sasaki's like, ah, you intend to interfere with this young master Yamato? Yamato's like, I'm not interfering. I'm fighting for Kozuki. Right over. So it looks like we're going to get a big fight between Sasaki and Yamato. That uh, would make sense. Very similar to last arc, uh, Dressrosa, where a lot of the various members of the Coliseum got big fights against members of, like, the Legion. This does seem to indicate one of two things. It seems likely based off this. Now, it's not 100% guaranteed. Cryos fought against one of the members of the, the, like, main members of uh, Doflamingo's army. I've forgotten their names. The suits, I think. um, And didn't do anything. But it's leaning... It's... In the small patterns of Oda, it's looking a little bit closer like Yamato is either maybe coming along with the Straw Hats or maybe will become one of like those uh, Straw Hat Admiral kind of characters. Because usually when you see a character get a fight in an arc like this, it has some sort of relevance. Well, in the in the vein that, you know, Yamato is trying to live out Odin's life. Mm-hmm. Um you know, Odin went on that journey with the yep. next King of the Pirates. So there you go. Now, obviously, we also haven't seen it. Someone could interfere. But as we move closer and closer to this idea of these fights kind of happening, I'm actually pretty excited to see Yamato have a fight. So uh, it's looking good. He came in with a lot of like, oh, excitement over this new character. And then it's like, look, there's a lot of stuff going on right now. <laughs> well, <so. laughs> well, technically, yeah, we kind of came in with a lot of fatigue, like <sighs> another one. <sighs> okay. What's this one's whole deal? And then you have to figure oh, it out. It's, 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 it's Kaido's daughter who is has fallen in love with the idea of being Odin and is just and so has completely changed their identity and fucking hates his dad. And is like, oh, all right, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. So, so Kaido wasn't isn't doing so good now that he's uh, had his scar opened up. Uh, with uh, all of the uh, Akazaya 9 attacking him. So he's collapsed, and everyone's like, go, freaking cut his throat. We're going to finish him. Cut his head off. Uh, 
but he starts shifting, which shocks everyone. And Kaido says, in your spirit, I saw the visage of Kozuki Odin. I could have let you kill me with each throb of my scar. I remember, but you people are not Odin. We will never see a monster samurai of his like again. It is too shallow. You don't even have enough power to open up the old scar. And he starts looming up into the sky and roars at all of them. And the force of Kaido's roar sends out invisible slashes through the air. One of which chops through Kiku's sword and then her arm. Well, there you go, Nick. One one more to your uh, arm count. (laughs) Dismemberment counter. So that's an awesome second win, I I would say, on Kaido's part. That was cool. So, yeah, I think it's 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 a supremely cool moment. Um, I think this chapter in, in large has a lot of really cool moments. It's moving around a lot, but I like this idea of the ice oni. Uh, I like that we're kind of reestablishing the fire festival. I mentioned a while ago. I think there's supposed to be some big visual element that comes along with the fire festival that I'm fully expecting to be one of the ways the the arc comes to a close. So I like kind of the re uh, introduction of that part and seeing just how the people of Wano are trying to kind of deal with this and it's not great. So, uh, there's a great moment there. I like Jimbei just looking cool, just punching the fucking stupid gorilla guy straight into the sky. And not even like a big scene. It happens in the background. You just hear Jimbei's attack and then the gorilla guy slamming against the ceiling is great. And um, I think it's really cool. Kaido gets this big come like return and his speech is so fucking great where he's just like, I, I could have let you killed me, but you are not him. It's too shallow. It's just such a cool fucking visual. Kaido is a great villain. Yeah. I, I think I honestly think that this speech added a lot to his character, but it's also in line with what we know about him so far that, weird sense of honor that he has and that sense of respect that he has towards Odin where, you know, his followers, he's like, no, you'll never be as great as he was. Uh, but this is how pathetic you are. You, you can't even actually properly open up my old scar. Uh, and then he starts, he just, you know, roars and all of a sudden one of his opponent's arms goes flying off. So mm-hmm. he completely shifts the side, the tie of the battle just by getting angry. And that's it. So I know, it was I, cool. Yeah. I know quite a few people are bummed because it was Okiku, who is many people's favorite character of the uh, uh, Aka... Akazaya. Akazaya. I always mixed up because Ayakashi Triangle came into the mm-hmm. pod, uh, podcast. Uh, uh, so that's one of their, you know, their favorite members. But I mean, I think it kind of had to be a character you kind of liked because if it had been like Raizo, I'd have been like, Oh no. When it happens to a Kiku, you're like, oh shit, this is a big fucking deal. <laughs> yeah, alright. So that's it for uh Weekamonger Recap, guys. Mm-hmm. Wanna thank you all for joining us for the show. We're gonna close things out by naming what our favorites were this week. Our favorite series and our MVP. Alright. Chris. Uh my favorite series this week. It, it's Mashal, Magic and Muscles. I think it was a really funny chapter. Uh, I like the the big heroic moment at the end, and uh, I just generally had a lot of fun with it. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, with Doctor Stone. 
Okay. Uh, had some funny moments in it and it felt like more of a return to form uh, for, for the series uh, to get this science geekery and, you know, a lot, a lot of character based uh, stuff going on. And it was nice to have Chrome, you know, get to join the discourse between the two scientific minds and not leave him out and have him actually be very helpful in uh, helping them to figure things out. So. Yeah. Uh, the audience or sorry, uh, the MVP for me is going to be Kaido. I think this was a really cool scene for Kaido. I think it's a cool comeback. Like, again, it's just the, between the speech and just the moment at the end. I think Kaido looked supremely cool in all this. Uh, I'm going to go with Ogata. Sorry. <laughs> Kirisu. Sorry. No. <laughs> No, uh, um, I was at the beginning of the podcast thinking I would go with power because I mean, like she comes back and then just is immediately herself again, shifting, being as unpredictable as always, starting off being a braggart, then getting mewling empathetic. And then once she sees a way to take advantage of the situation, immediately becoming a backstabber and then bragging about it. But that speech that Kaido makes, I'm with you. That's such an awesome moment for him. And he's just picks himself back up and shows how powerful he is. And is like, nope, Luffy's the one who's going to fight and beat me. Yeah. Fuck you guys. So. It's a great moment because it still kind of made the, the, the scabbards look cool. But at the same time, it is like, you ain't the main character of this series. You're not going to be the ones to beat me. Yeah. All right. And uh, the audience. Yeah, the audience, by the way, said One Piece was their chapter of the week and Power was their <laughs> MVP of the week. So there you go. Not too surprised to hear that. Yeah, yeah. So. All right, guys. Thank you all for joining us for this week's edition of Weekly Manga Recap. Uh, we we uh, record the show here on twitch.tv slash T Wednesdays sometime between 7 and 8 Eastern on in the evening. Uh, but to stay updated on exactly when we're going to be recording the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Relative and Nick F Time. The podcast is at WMR Podcast. Or you can go on the Weekly Manga Recap Discord server because we try to send out a notification as we're making the show go live. Uh, you can also use that to just check out all sorts of different community discussions that we have. Uh, sometimes we'll go chime in with the chat to talk about what's going on with the recommendation we're going through sometimes we use it to talk about that week's manga before we even start recording the series because sometimes some of us have very impulsive reactions that we just can't hold in for the next few days uh, mm -hmm. that's happened with both of us uh also well we can manga recap server does uh, among us uh plays on uh saturday mornings yeah uh, we should be we should be doing one this saturday i might be able to get in for a couple games and you can also use that uh, server to find the Week of Manga Recap Google Doc, maintained by Nanotex3i, which uh, keeps track of our recommendations that we go through, uh, our MVPs and favorite series and stuff like that, the end-of-year polls, all that good stuff. Uh, check out our past episodes on weeklymangarecap.podbean.com. Uh, you can use the Discord server as well to uh, send us like feedback and stuff. Uh, the Google Doc is good for asking questions for our Q&A episodes. We want to give a special thanks to our Patreon supporters. You allow us to create bonus content for you guys to enjoy. Uh -huh. uh, we recorded an episode. Uh, and it was this week. We just recorded yeah, a tier list for the World Trigger bonus pod. Uh, at, uh, all the squads that we ranked. And we got some cool stuff coming up, too. Uh, we're mm -hmm. going to do an As Explained by Manga, where I'm going to attempt to explore the lore and the factions of the Warhammer 40k universe to Nick. Uh, we're going to have a special guest on because I'm not the most knowledgeable on Warhammer, <laughs> but we're going to get an expert on as well to help. 
And uh, we're also going to have a tier list for ranking the One Piece arcs. We're going to watch all of Dora Hidoro and talk about that on an episode. So definitely go check it out. we got some cool, exciting stuff in the future. Yeah. And uh, before we close out the show, just want to give a special thanks to Steve Mann, Tark artist, infamous planet for creating the framework for the visual stream of the show, Winslet El Cheddar, and Milo Jack Stills for creating the opening theme of Weekly Manga Recap. And that is everything. Mm-hmm. Did you yes. have a recommendation? Uh, I thought it was your turn to do a recommendation. I did. Ruko-chan. Then I do not. Okay. <laughs> we'll have a net recommendation very soon then, guys. Uh, by Not the way, oh. <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead. no, I was going to say, uh, I just wanted to let you know, uh, according to the Black Clover Wikia, uh, Fanzel, uh, his first ability is that he is a master swordsman. Ah, was, okay. Uh, yeah, he was an instructor during his time, the commander of the Diamond King's army, and he is highly proficient at swordsmanship as memor- as as noticeable by all of his memorable moments in the series, such as... I guess striking Ladris with a sword at some point, and apparently also training Nasta in swordsmanship. Apparently, that was a very important light novel to read, so. I don't know. That's everything. Yeah. yeah. Very important character, <laughs> Fat Fanel. I forgot it already, and I just had the piece. <laughs> Fartzel, no!